Chapter 43 of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sharon Bautista. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Chapter 43 the duty of american zoologists and educators to american wildlife the publication of this chapter will hardly be regarded as a bid for fame or even popularity on the part of the author however the subject cannot be ignored simply because it is disagreeable throughout sixty years to go no further back the people of america have been witnessing the strange spectacle of american zoologists as a mass so intent upon the academic study of our continental fauna that they seem not to have cared a continental about the destruction of that fauna. During that tragic period, twelve species of North American birds have been totally exterminated, twenty-three are almost exterminated, and the mammals have fared very badly. If, by their works ye shall know them, then no man can say that the men referred to have been conspicuous on the firing line in defense of assaulted wildlife. In their hearts we know that, in an academic way, the naturalists of America do care about wildlife slaughter and the extermination of species, and we also know that perhaps fifty American zoologists have at times taken an active and serious interest in protection work. I am speaking now of the general body of museum directors and curators, professors and teachers of zoology in our institutions of learning, a legion in themselves, teachers of nature study in our secondary schools, investigators and specialists in state and government service, the taxidermists and osteologists, and the array of literary people who, like all the foregoing, make their bread and butter out of the exploitation of wildlife. Taken as a whole, the people named above constitute a grand army of at least 5,000 trained, educated, resourceful, and influential persons. They all depend upon wildlife for their livelihood. When they talk about living things, the public listens with respectful attention. Their knowledge of the value of wildlife would be worth something to our cause, but thus far it never has been capitalized. These people are hard workers and when they mark out definite courses and attainable goals, they know how to get results. Yet what do we see? For sixty long years, with the exception of the work of a corporal's guard of their number, this grand army has remained in camp, partly neglecting and partly refusing to move upon the works of the enemy. For sixty years, with the exception of the non-game bird law, as a class and a mass, they have left to the sportsmen of the country the dictating of laws for the protection of all the game birds, the mammals, and the game fishes. When we stop to consider that the game birds alone embrace 154 very important species, the appalling extent to which the zoologist has abdicated in favor of the sportsman becomes apparent. It is a very great mistake, and a wrong besides, for the zoologists of the country to abandon the game birds, mammals, and fishes of North America to the sportsmen to do with as they please. Yet that is practically what has been done. The time was, thirty or forty years ago, when wildlife was so abundant that we did not need to worry about its preservation. 
that was the golden era of study and investigation that era ended definitely in eighteen eighty four with the practical extermination of the wild american bison partly through the shameful greed and partly through the neglect of the american people we are now living in the middle of the period of extermination the questions for every american zoologist and every sportsman to answer now are shall the slaughter of species go on to a quick end of the period shall we give posterity a birdless gameless fishless continent or not shall we have closed seasons all over the country for five or ten years or for five hundred years if we are courageous we will brace up and answer these questions now like men if we are faint-hearted and eager for peace at any price then we will sidestep the ugly situation until the destroyers have settled it for us by the wholesale extermination of species if the zoologist cares to know then i will tell him that today the wildlife of the world can be saved by law but not by sentiment alone you cannot educate a poacher a game hog a market gunner a milliner or a vain and foolish woman of fashion all these must be curbed and controlled by law game refuges alone will not save the wildlife all species of birds mammals and game fishes of north america must have more thorough and far-reaching protection than they now have do not always take your cue from the sportsman especially regarding the enactment of long close seasons if you need good advice or help about drafting a bill write to dr t s palmer department of agriculture washington and you will receive prompt and valuable assistance the doctor is a wise man and there is nothing about protective laws that is unknown to him go to your state senator and your assemblyman with the bills that you know should be enacted into law and assure them that those measures are necessary for the wildlife and beneficial to ninety-eight per cent of the people who own the wildlife you will be heard with respectful attention in any law-making body that you choose to enter people who cannot give time and labor must supply you with money for your campaigns ask and you will receive i have proven this many times with care and exactness account to your subscribers for the expenditure of all money placed in your hands and you will receive continuous support in times of great stress print circulars and leaflets by the ten thousand and get them into the hands of people calling for their help our forty two thousand copies of the wildlife call sixteen pages were distributed by organizations all over the state of new york and along with mr andrew d malloy's letters to the members of the new york state league aroused such a tidal wave of public sentiment against the sale of game that the bain bill was finally swept through the legislature with only one dissenting vote and yet in the beginning not one man dared to hope that that very revolutionary measure could by any possibility be passed in its first year in new york state even if it ever could be it was the aroused public that did it this volume has been written under great pressure in order to put the whole situation before the people of america including the zoologists and to give them some definite information state by state regarding the needs of the hour look at the needs of your own state in the roll call of states and you will find work for your hand to do clear your conscience by taking hold now to do everything that you can to stop the carnage and preserve the remnant twenty-five or fifty years hence 
if we have a birdless and gameless continent, let it not be said that the zoologists of America helped to bring it about by wicked apathy. At this juncture, a brief survey of the attitude toward wildlife of certain American institutions of national reputation will be decidedly pertinent. I shall mention only a few of the many that through their character and position owe specific duties to this cause. Noblesse oblige. The Biological Survey of the U.S. Department of Agriculture is a splendid center of activity and initiative in the preservation of our wildlife. The work of Dr. T.S. Palmer has already been spoken of, and thanks to his efforts and direction, the survey has become the recognized special champion of preservation in America. The U.S. Forestry Bureau is developing into a very valuable ally, and we confidently look forward to the time when its influence and preservation will be a hundred times more potent than it is today. That will be when every national forest is made a game preserve and every forest ranger is made a game warden. Let us have both those developments and quickly. In 1896, the American Museum of Natural History became a center of activity in bird protection and the headquarters of the New York State Audubon Society. The president of the museum, Professor Henry Fairfield Osborne, is also the president of that organization. In several of the New York State movements for bird conservation, especially those bearing on the plumage law, the American Museum has been active and at times conspicuous. No one, so I believe, ever appealed to the president of the museum for help on the firing line without receiving help of some kind. Unfortunately, however, the preservation of wildlife is not one of the declared objects of the American Museum Corporation or one on which its officers may spend money, as is so freely and even joyously done by the Zoological Society. The museum's influence has been exerted chiefly through the active workers of the State Audubon Society, and it was as president of that body that Professor Osborne subscribed to the fund that was so largely instrumental in creating the New York law against the sale of game. There is room for an important improvement in the declared objects of the American Museum. To the cause of protection, it is a distinct loss that that great and powerful institution should be unable to spend any money in promoting the preservation of our fauna from annihilation. An amendment to its constitution is earnestly recommended. The activities of the New York Zoological Society began in 1896, and they do not require comment here. They have been continuous, aggressive, and far-reaching and they have been supported by thousands of dollars from the society's treasury. It is true that the funds available for protection work have not represented a great annual sum, such as the work demands, but the amount being expended from year to year is steadily increasing. In serious emergencies, there is always something available. During the past two years, to relieve the society of a portion of this particular burden, the director of the park secured several large subscriptions from persons outside the society who previously had never entered into this work. The Milwaukee Public Museum has entered actively and effectively into the fight to preserve the birds of Wisconsin from annihilation by the saloon loafer element that three years ago determined to repeal the best bird laws on the books and throw the shooting privilege wide open. Mr. Henry L. Ward, director of the museum, went to the firing line and remained there, 
last year the saloon element thought that they had a large majority of the votes in the legislature pledged to vote their way it looked like it but when the decent people again rose and demanded justice for the birds the members of the legislature stood by them in large majorities the spring shooting bad limit and hunting license laws were not repealed the university of kansas lawrence scored heavily for the cause of wildlife protection when in 1908 it gave the governor of the state the services of a member of its faculty professor lewis lindsay dyke who was wanted to fill the position of state fish and game commissioner professor dyke proved to be a very live wire and his activities have covered the state of kansas to its farthest corners we love him for the host of enemies he has made among the poachers game butchers and pseudo sportsmen and lawbreakers generally the men who thought they had had the pull of friendship for lawbreaking were first warned and then as second offenders hauled up to the bar one and all the more the destroyers tried to hound the commissioner the more popular is he with the great solid mass of good citizens who believe in the saving of wildlife the museum of comparative zoology has at last made a beginning in the field of protection last winter while the great battle raged over the wharton no sale of game bill several members of the museum staff appeared at the hearings and otherwise worked for the success of the measure it was most timely aid and very much needed it is to be hoped that that auspicious beginning will be continued from year to year the museum should keep at least one good fighter constantly in the field the boston society of natural history takes a very active part in promoting the preservation of the fauna of massachusetts and in resisting the attempts of the destroyers to repeal the excellent laws now in force its members put forth vigorous efforts in the great campaign of nineteen twelve the brooklyn institute of arts and sciences is well represented in the field of protection by director franklin w hooper now president of the american bison society and an earnest promoter of the perpetuation of the bison when the wind cave national bison herd is fully established in south dakota as it practically is already the chief credit for that coup will be due to the unflagging energy and persistence of professor hooper the buffalo academy of sciences in nineteen eleven entered actively and effectively under the leadership of dr lee h smith into the campaign for the bain bill besides splendid service rendered in western new york dr smith appeared in albany with a strong delegation in support of the bill the university of california was the first institution of learning to enter the field of wildlife protection for active aggressive and permanent work w l taylor and joseph grinnell of the university museum have taken up the fight to save the fauna of california from the dangers that now threaten it at this point our enumeration of the activities of american zoological institutions comes to an unfortunate end there are many individuals to be named elsewhere in the role of honor but that is another story I am now going to set before the public the names of certain institutions largely devoted to zoology and permeated by zoologists which thus far seem to have entirely ignored the needs of our fauna and which so far we know have contributed neither men money nor encouragement to the army of the defense partial list of institutions owing service to wildlife
The United States National Museum contains a large and expensive core of zoological curators and assistant curators, some of whom long ago should have taken upon themselves the task of reforming the laws of the District of Columbia, Virginia, and Maryland at their very doors. This museum should maintain at least one man in the field of protection, and the existence of the biological survey is no excuse for the museum's inactivity. The Field Museum of Chicago is a great institution, but it appears to be inactive in wildlife protection and indifferent to the fate of our wildlife. Its influence is greatly needed on the firing line, especially in Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and northern Minnesota. First of all, the odious sale of game situation in Chicago should be cleaned up. The Philadelphia Academy of Sciences has been represented on the AOU Committee on Bird Protection by Mr. Whitmer Stone. The time has come when this academy should be represented on the firing line as a virile, wide-awake, self-sacrificing and aggressive force. It is perhaps the oldest zoological body in the United States. Its scientific standing is unquestioned. Its members must know of the carnage that is going on around them, for they are not ignorant men. The Pennsylvania State Game Commission today stands in urgent need of active, vigorous, and persistent assistance from the Philadelphia Academy in the fierce campaign already in progress for additional protective laws. Will that help be given? The Carnegie Institute of Washington, endowment $22 million, unquestionably owes a great duty toward wildlife, no portion of which has yet been discharged. Academic research work is all very well but it does not save faunas from annihilation. In the saving of the birds and mammals of North America, a hundred million people are directly interested, and the cause is starving for money, men, and publicity. Education is not the only duty of educators. The Carnegie Museum at Pittsburgh should be provided by Pittsburgh with sufficient funds that its director can put a good man into the field of protection and maintain his activities. The state of Pennsylvania, and the nation at large, needs such a worker at Pittsburgh, and this statement is not open to argument. The California Academy of Sciences, the Chicago Academy of Sciences, the New York Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Sciences, the Philadelphia Zoological Society, the National Zoological Park, appear to have done nothing noteworthy in promoting the preservation and increase of the wildlife of America. A few of the institutions of learning which should each donate one man to this cause. Columbia University of New York has a very large and strong corps of zoological professors in its Department of Biology. No living organism is too small or too worthless to be studied by high-grade men. But does any man of Columbia ever raise his voice actively and determinedly for the preservation of our fauna or any other fauna? Columbia should give the services of one man wholly to this cause. There are men whose zoological ideals soar so high that they cannot see the slaughter of wildlife creatures that is so furiously proceeding on the surface of this blood-stained earth. We don't want to hear about the behavior of protozoans while our best songbirds are being exterminated by Negroes and poor whites. Cornell University should now awaken to the new situation. All the zoological Neros should not fiddle while Rome burns. 
For the sake of consistency, Cornell should devote the services of at least one member of its large and able faculty to the cause of wildlife protection. Cornell was a pioneer in forestry teaching, and why should she not lead off now in the new field? Yale University, in Professor James W. Toomey, director of the School of Forestry, possesses a natural, ready-made protector of wildlife. From forestry to wildlife is an easy step. We hopefully look forward to the development of Professor Toomey into a militant protectionist fighting for the helpless creatures that must be protected by man or perish. If Yale is willing to set a new pace for the world's great universities, she has the man already at hand. The University of Chicago should become the center of a great new protectionist movement which should cover the whole Middle West area from the Plains to Pittsburgh. This is the inflexible logical necessity of the hour. Either protect zoology or else for very shame give up teaching it. Every higher institution of learning in America now has a duty in this matter. Times have changed. Things are not as they were 30 years ago. To allow a great and valuable wild fauna to be destroyed and wasted is a crime against both the present and the future. If we mean to be good citizens, we cannot shirk the duty to conserve. We are trustees of the inheritance of future generations, and we have no right to squander that inheritance. If we fail of our plain duty, the scorn of future generations surely will be our portion. End of chapter 43 Recording by Sharon Bautista in Evanston, Illinois